Well, good day to everyone. I want to welcome you. I'm so excited that you have made a decision to tune in today and listen to today's podcast. I'm so excited that uh, you you want to study along with uh, with what I have here today for us. And you know, as we get started this morning, uh, or, or whenever you're listening to it, go if you don't mind, go ahead and if you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to James chapter three. Um, or if you know if you have a, a mobile device or an iPad or an iPhone or something, you got the Bible app. Uh, you can go ahead and open that up and go to James chapter three. And you know we started to dive into chapter three uh, last week, and, and we really just focused on one verse, verse one, uh, which says, "Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with with greater strictness." and we really focused on that because if we can understand that, if we can understand James's concern, if we can understand uh, and relate to what James is trying to tell us there, uh, I, I think it really sets the stage for the rest of the chapter. And you know, the book of James, it's all about learning to live as a Christian, learning to live um, as Christ wants us to live, as we've been called to live. And you know, there's a problem. There's a problem here that James is addressing. Okay, it's 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 an untamable tongue, an uncontrollable tongue. My, the the title of chapter three in my Bible says, "Learn to tame the tongue." Right, taming the tongue, and there, there's a problem, right? And uh, we talked a little bit, and, and you know, this isn't a problem that we can fix on our own. This isn't a problem that that you and I uh, can do uh, and correct on its own. Uh, it's going to require something greater than us. It's going to require something more than us. And, and so James gives us a solution um, in chapter three. And, you know, I want you to ex- think about, have you ever experienced the power of words? Right? I want you to put them into categories. Have they, have, have, has the power of words that have affected your life, have they been uplifting or have they been detrimental you know i want you to think of try to think of situations of both where you've experienced uh the power of words where you've experienced how words have uplifted you or you've experienced how words have been detrimental to you have have destroyed you and tried to uh destruct you and you know if you're like me you're thinking about what others have said to you Right, you're thinking about times when you've been on the receiving end, but what about your words? Right, have your words been uplifting, or have your words been detrimental? Have your words been uplifting or detrimental to your spouse, to your children, to your families, to your friends, to your boss, to your coworkers? You know, I've been listening to a song this week by Casting Crowns called "Slow Fade." I'd encourage you to download it or look it up on YouTube or something and take a look at that. You know, there's a there's a part in there where it says people never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. Right? It's a, it's a slow fade. It, it's it, there's a starting point and it's a slow fade to whenever we get to that point where it seems like all hope is lost. Right? It's and it starts with the things that we say. How do I know that? 
because the Bible teaches us that, you know, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 12, you see the, uh, you can find it, Luke chapter 6, you can find it. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, the overflow of the heart, the overflow of our attitudes, right? It comes forth, it pours out in our speech. And I want you to think about the consequences of an uncontrolled tongue. What are the consequences of an uncontrolled tongue? What do words harm? How do they harm someone? Okay, because I'm going to talk about, you know, we just looked at one verse last week and the significance and the importance of learning to tame, uh, 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 of taming the tongue. Okay, James is about to step on our toes. James is about to hit us in the gut. Okay, it, 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 with a few examples. So if you're looking at James chapter 3, I want to read to you verse 2, which says, For we all stumble in many ways. Yes, we do. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Okay, this is this is a hypothetical statement that James is talking about. He says, if someone is able to perfectly control their tongue, they would be a perfect man. Now you tell me, is that possible? No, absolutely, absolutely not. Right, so James understands the struggle that we face. James understands the struggle that we have uh, with taming the tongue, and it says no, you know, no one can keep that perfect tongue. No one can keep that perfect tongue. We understand that. So what James is saying in verse two, it's it's a hypothetical statement. A perfect man can bridle his whole body. Okay, so if you can control your tongue, you should then be able to control your body, right? But no one is perfect. No one is going to be able to control their tongue. Therefore, no one is going to be able to control their body. Okay, so perfect in this aspect, it, it's not about being immune to sin, right? It says we all stumble. We're all going to fall. We stumble in many ways. We're all going to sin. We're all going to mess up. It's not about being immune to sin. It's not about never sinning again, right? Because no one's perfect. We, we understand that. But whenever James talks about being perfect here, he's talking about progressing towards spiritual maturity. I, sh I shared with you last week, you know, we are to be striving to become more like Christ. I fully believe that whenever you submit your life to, to Christ, God will begin to mold you. He'll begin to, to transform you into being perfect. I, 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 I love talking about perfection. Uh, I'm all about perfection. I want things to be perfect. I want things I do to be perfect. Right, but but perfection is, is is what what we're talking about. It's not perfect as to the world standards. Okay, this perfection is about striving to become more like Christ. It's simple. John the Baptist puts it so very simple in John three. He says, "He must increase, and you must decrease." Now, what's interesting? It says, it says. Again, it's a hypothetical statement. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. We know that's hypothetical. We know we all stumble. We know we all fall and sin. But he is able also to bridle his whole body. Okay? Bridle. What is a, what is a bridle? Okay? A bridle is how the rider of a horse, you know, uh, communicates with, with it. It's how we direct the horse. 
Let me ask another question. Can a horse bridle itself? No. Who has to do it? Who has to bridle the horse? The owner. The master. Right? Uh, you you know, as you drive down the road, as you take two-lane two country roads uh, out in the county, you may see a farm or something. You know, I love driving up through the Lexington, Kentucky area and seeing those huge horse farms. Right? You can look up on the hill, up on the ridge there, and you can see... All these horses out there. What are they doing? What are they doing? Okay, they're bareback. You know that they, they ain't got no saddle on. They ain't got no harness on. No bridle on. No reins. They're just, they're just out there, fenced in. What are they doing? Well, they're just wandering aimlessly, right? They're walking here. They're walking there. They're walking down to the pond. They're getting a drink over here. They're eating this blade of grass. They're eating this blade of grass. They. Decide to go play. They go. They go play. You know, they're just doing aimlessly things. They're, they're killing time. Is all that they're doing. They're wasting time. See, here's the important thing. Without the without the leadership of the master, it's aimless. Without the leadership of the master, we wander aimlessly. We behave aimlessly. We act aimlessly. Okay, so James is about to give us several analogies. Again, these are stomping on our toes, hitting us in the gut, you know, to show us that the tongue, even though it's small, has the power to control and influence someone. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. What if we allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through us in such a way that He has control of our speech? What if we allowed, what if we yielded to the Master in such a way that He has control of our speech? And, and, you know, it makes me ask the question, okay, how do I get to that point, right? Because that, that's, that's beginning the process of spiritual maturity, progressing towards spiritual maturity. How do I... How do I get to that point? How do I get to that point? I want to tell you, I'm not going to be able to help you get there. Your pastor's not going to be able to help you get there. Your mom, your dad, your your brother, your coworker, your your friend, your Bible study leader, they ain't going to be able to help you get there. It's only Jesus. See, the bridle not only benefits the rider. Right? To control, to control the, the, the horse, the animal, where he wants it to go. But it benefits the horse as well. It leads the horse down the right path. Verse 4, look at the ships also, James says. Though they are so large and they though they are driven by strong winds, they are what? Guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs so also the tongue is a member yet it boasts of great things you see if controlled you think about the analogy of the of the uh, bit in the horse's mouth think about the analogy james gives us of the small rudder if someone is in control of that 
if the master is in control of that, if the owner is in control of that, the tongue has potential, you know, the ship, the, the horse, it has potential to do good. Potential to do good if controlled, right? But if uncontrolled, it can cause destruction. If uncontrolled, that ship can go where it shouldn't go. That ship can go right into the eye of the storm, right into the middle of the storm. That ship can can can, can get on can go on land. Right? That that horse can get into a thicket somewhere and get stuck. Get into a fence line, get stuck, get injured. If uncontrolled, it can cause destruction. And so in the context of James chapter 3, you know, the advice, the counsel here is for teachers. Okay, let's let's understand what James verse 1. He, he's, he's talking about the importance of taming the tongue for teachers, right? Because they're regularly engaging in speaking. Okay, that, that's very simple. They are, they are in a position where they are speaking a lot. Okay, but it's also so very important for believers because our speech is naturally inconsistent with our faith. Let me say that again. Our speech is naturally inconsistent with our faith. And it will remain inconsistent until you yield to the Master. I love the way uh, I have a new Living Translation Bible here at the house. And I I love the way it reads verse 5. The New Living says this, The tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But the tongue is also a tiny spark that can set a forest on fire. Okay, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but the tongue is also a tiny spark that can set a forest on fire. So James is continuing to draw these comparisons between the tongue, what we say, and small things that possess great power. Okay, a bit the tiny bits in the mouth of, of the horse which can control a you know a thousand pound animal nine eight hundred nine hundred thousand pound animal he could you know he talks about a small rudder on a ship which turns the entire vessel the entire vessel just by a small rudder right then he compares it to a tiny spark which, which can set a forest on fire Okay, setting a forest on fire is not good. <laughs> I don't know if I need to explain that. But setting a forest on fire is not good. Verse 6, the tongue, look at verse 6. It's kind of a running commentary we're doing today. It says, and the tongue is a fire. Write that down here. James is about to give us several um, descriptions of the tongue. The tongue is a fire. Okay, what does it mean that the tongue is a fire? Okay, what what's a fire do? Okay, it can have massive and detrimental results to anything it touches. Like the tongue, a spark in a forest can have massive and detrimental result results. Okay, it burns things up. Whatever it touches. Okay, I want you to. Keep that perspective before you gossip for 52 minutes a day. The tongue is a fire. 
Anything it touches can burn up. Keep that perspective before we find ourselves talking about someone. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's a world of iniquity. It's a world of wickedness, it says in verse 6. See, in our natural sinful state, our words come from a place of evil. Okay, I believe the Bible teaches that no one is righteous. I believe the Bible teaches we were brought forth in sin. We were brought forth in iniquity. I believe that man's heart apart from Christ is evil and is wicked and is deceitful. The tongue is, a, is an entity of sin. It is a world of sin. Okay? So our words come from a place of evil. The tongue, verse 6, is set among our members. The tongue is going to corrupt all parts of our bodies. It says it stains the whole body. It sets on fire the entire course of life. Question, is your life on fire right now? Does it feel like everything is burning down around you? Have you ever, have you ever been there? It may not be now, but have you ever been there where it feels like everything is just crashing down around you? You got problems with your spouse. You got problems with your children. You got problems with your coworkers. Why is all this happening? You know, it raises a, a question. I saw a quote one time uh, in a, uh, a response to this question. The question is, why do bad things happen to good people? We've all heard that. We've all struggled with answering that. Why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, a quote I read one time said, um, that's only happened once and this man named Jesus volunteered. Right, why are these happening? Why is things crashing crashing down around me? Why is why are things burning up? James chapter 3 tells us, you know, it could be several things. It could be several things. Why these things are happening, but it may be a result of an uncontrolled tongue. Why? Because the tongue is a reflection of the heart. Well, Jonathan, that's pretty bold of you to tell me what I said causes pain in my life. Listen, look. Look at what it says. Look at what the Bible says. The ending of verse 6. So the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. It's, it's set among our members. It stains the whole body. It's set on fire the entire course of life. Why? Because it's set on fire by hell. Listen, the destruction that has happened in your life in the lives of others, in the lives of your family members who are close to you, in the friends who are close to you, the, the, the problems that you're facing, even though we're sinners, even though, yeah, we're born in sin, even though our heart in its natural state is wicked, this destruction, this fire that you're walking through, let me tell you, it didn't originate with you. Yeah, we're sinners. Yeah, we're naturally separated by, from God. But the Bible says the tongue is set on fire by hell. What does the enemy want to do? John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief, the enemy, the devil, Satan himself, he doesn't want anything that's good for you. He doesn't want anything that's good for you. 
Okay, so this evil in this world comes from Satan himself. The evil speech that has destroyed families, that has destroyed you, you know, your children and relationships, that has destroyed business opportunities and decisions. This evil speech that can tear someone down and slice them wide open. It comes from Satan himself. It says the tongue is set on fire by hell. Why could this happen? I'm a, I'm a born-again believer. Listen. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to sin. We're all going to fall short. I hope you see the importance there of pursuing Christ. right? Because it's a slow fade. It's a slow fade to get to that point. One thing leads to another. Next thing you know, you've turned your back. You're walking the complete opposite direction of God's will for your life. But where's your pursuit of Christ? That's the importance. This is the importance of pursuing Christ daily. Of getting involved in a church. Getting involved in a Bible study. Getting involved in a Sunday school class. Getting involved. Don't skip Sunday nights. Don't skip Wednesday nights. Yeah, that's right. This is this is my you know this is uh, this is my thoughts. This is what this is how I think. Don't do those things because it's a slow fade. You miss this Sunday night. Well, why won't the, the next thing you know you're missing the next Sunday night? Then you're just completely out of church. You miss one Sunday school class. You mix. You miss another one. You miss another one. You get out of the routine. Right? The pursuit of Christ, my friends. The pursuit of Christ is so important in guarding against this evil. This wickedness in this world. You want to know how to protect against it? Pick up your shield of faith. Your shield of faith. You see, whenever Paul says that in Ephesians 6, we have to understand a little bit of Roman history there. Shields a lot of times were made out of wood, planks of wood, wrapped in some sort of leather, right? some sort of animal hide, some sort of uh, uh, animal skin, and they were doused and they were dipped in water, <laughs> the living water, right? They were dipped in water, and so when the enemy threw fiery darts, we could extinguish them with the shield of faith. When the enemy throws the fiery darts, you lift up your faith, which has been doused and dipped in Christ Jesus alone. You stand behind Jesus. You pick Jesus up and you hold him there. Between you and your enemy. Verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay, why? Again, I, I like to ask the question why whenever I'm studying. Why can't why can we tame these creatures, these animals, but we can't tame the tongue? How can we how? How can we tame these creatures and these animals, but we can't tame the tongue? It says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
See, it's not just untamable, it's not just uncontrollable, but it's unstable, it's reckless. What does it mean to be reckless? It means, it means there's no focus, there's no clear focus, there's no clear intentions. And when it strikes, whatever it strikes, okay, when the tongue strikes, whatever it strikes, because it's uncontrolled, it, stri it strikes, it's, it's, it's full of deadly poison. That's what the Bible says. Wow. James, my toes are black and blue. I'm doubled over from these gut punches. Man, he's, he's laying it out here for us. He's laying it out here. And, you know, be honest with you, I'm kind of uncomfortable to go any further. James is about to make it even more uncomfortable. Verse 9. With the tongue, oh, you're going to want to look at this. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. See, that kind of relates back to, to chapter 2 about showing favoritism, the sin of partiality, the sin of favoritism. Right? We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. That whenever you read that, What do you think of? What comes to mind? We praise God on Sunday morning and then we curse the waitresses at the restaurant. We curse our coworkers. We talk about them. We say bad things here and there. Hypocritical inconsistency is what I think of. You say, well, I don't do that. My friends, we all stumble in many ways. Yeah, but I, I don't do that. Lose your pride. We're all guilty of that. Why is this dangerous? Why is this dangerous? It's because we're inconsistent with our faith. Our speech is inconsistent with our faith. See, our speech proves who we really are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our speech is a reflection of the inner heart. So how do we get aligned? How do we get realigned? How do we get our tongue consistent with our faith? What do we do? Do we just give up and give in? I'm a sinner. I, it says I'm going to stumble and fall. I'll be forgiven. Listen, James is telling us it is impossible for us to tame the tongue. Okay, look at the examples, the metaphors, the, the analogies, whatever you want to call them, he's given to us. Okay, what do we do? In every example he's given us, There's been a master. 
There's been an owner. You want to know the answer? Surrender your life to Jesus. Submit your life to Jesus. See, this is more than just a tongue problem. Okay, because after verse 12, James never, not once, references a tongue again. Okay, this is a heart problem. It's more than just a tongue, right? I want you to remember what the theme of James is. Faith. Faith, 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 faith. Faith produces what? Faith produces good works. Okay, so specifically, what we say proves who we are. You see, we are far from perfect. But we have been tasked to progress towards spiritual maturity. And as we progress, as we get stronger, as our faith grows, as our trust grows, there's a change in our lives. See, the Holy Spirit will purify your heart. The Holy Spirit will give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and I didn't even have to say it. You know what I you know what it is? Self-control. See, here's a solution to that fire. Here's a solution to the destruction around you. Here's a solution to the broken and strange relationships, to the brokenness in your homes, to the brokenness. Here's a solution, and it's in a man named Jesus. Look at verse 13. James says, oh, let me step on your toes again. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Okay, James says, James says, lose your pride. The wise person, the one who possesses godly wisdom, is proven by a life of good works and a life that is well lived for the kingdom. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He says, where's your humility? Okay, what are you living for? Are you truly seeking the kingdom? Are you truly in the pursuit of Christ? Or are you just trying to get yours? See, the perspective we talked last week, the perspective that a lot of us have is to go to work, to get the job done, get the money, feed the family, put food on the table. That's a perspective. We've been called to a greater perspective. We're called to so much more. What a better way to prove our faith than to prove it through our conversations and our speech. See, you, you no longer just have to live for that paycheck. You now live as if you're seeking the kingdom. You now pursue the kingdom. You pursue Christ. 
And so he makes this contrast. You know, there's this contrast between man's wisdom. Okay, man's wisdom is what? Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Look at what man's wisdom did to, did to humanity in Genesis 3. Sure, I believe it. The serpent deceived him. But man's wisdom said, yeah, sounds pretty good. I'll eat of that fruit. You know what that says? God, I don't need you anymore. God, I can figure this out on my own. I can do this on my own. James says that is earthly, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Right? What's your perspective? Are you seeking the kingdom? Are you seeking Christ? Or are you just looking for yourself? See, godly wisdom is pure. Right? Godly wisdom is something we can ask for, according to chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God for it. It is pure, so godly wisdom is completely separated from wrong. It is peace-loving. It is committed to others. Unity. Seeking the best for others. We can all learn from that one. It is considerate. It means to be gracious and patient. It is submissive. It is full of mercy and good fruit. You know, it's full of kindness and goodness. It's impartial. It's sincere. It's genuine. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let me let me tie all this together. Okay, it took me quite some time to, to kind of wrap my head around that, that last bit there that James tells us, 13 through 18. Because there's there's a lot of different ways we can go from it, but let me try to tie this together for us. Are you being guided? by the wisdom that God gives or the wisdom of the world. You see, when we're being tempted, we have to pause. We have to think. We have to pray and seek God's wisdom. See, worldly wisdom is going to say, do whatever it takes to get ahead. Do whatever it takes to get ahead. Bring anyone down in your path. Go get yours. The Bible says that's a selfish and envious attitude. And that proves we have not been submissive. We have not yielded to the Master. We have not yielded to the wisdom of God. See, when we seek the kingdom, when we're in pursuit of Christ... Our speech and our conduct will place us in a position to honor Him. That's spiritual maturity. That is spiritual maturity. I want to leave you today with a passage from Philippians chapter 4. If you want to look over there. Philippians chapter 4. I'll read verse 7 and 8. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence in these things, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What that says is while God guards your heart, we are commanded to focus our lives on things that please God. God. We're called to trust God, but we're also called to serve God. See, words matter. Words can destruct or they can instruct. They can bring forth life or they can bring forth death. They can inspire and they can motivate or they can destroy and demoralize. We not only have the ability as born-again believers, but we have the responsibility to seek God's wisdom. Right? Chapter 1, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. Go to God in prayer is what that means. When you find yourselves being tempted to uh, to say things that, you know, that, that you would regret. When you find your speech becoming tempted by the evil one, pray. Seek godly wisdom. Seek what is pure, what is true, what is lovely, what is excellent. Right? Because here's the thing. We can thank God that he will provide. He's faithful. We are unfaithful, but he is faithful. He alone can tame the untamable by his grace and the life-transforming power. See, our words reflect who we truly are. And this is a struggle for many people. But the answer is in your pursuit of Christ. You get aligned with Christ. We get that right perspective. And we start seeking the kingdom. And we're no longer living for the things of this world. Allow me to pray over you. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Uh, just study it. And see what you have to say. I thank you for the opportunity to, to share the gospel. Father, I don't know who's listening. Father, I pray whoever ears this message falls on, you touch their heart. You fill them with the Holy Spirit. You light a fire in them that may have burned out, may have dimmed out a little bit. Reignite that fire, Father. Help them in their pursuit and their faith of you. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.